Check, check, check one, two. Welcome to Dispatches from the Scandamaniac. Ooh, yeah, that bell's hitting the levels just fine. Um, before I launch into today's episode, I just wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping, and uh, I've decided from now on I'm going to start each episode with a storm warning, and the storm warning is that I have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, and please do not take anything I say seriously. Um, I think this leads into... I got into uh, my last episode with Catherine Raymond, uh, got into some good little Facebook conversation with her entire family. Uh, shout out to Boots Kitty Kitty on Facebook, who is Catherine's mom, named after their cat apparently on Facebook. Um, but her cousin, I think, kind of listened to the episode with the lacking the context that I think is, exists on this show is that I don't, I only kind of talk to people who are my friends and I don't, I'm not a professional, and I remember I was, like, making fun of Catherine. We were doing an episode about mental health and talking about how bad alcohol for is, it is while drinking, and her cousin was like, what kind of show is this guy running? And, like, was calling me immature, which I absolutely am, and actually made some fair criticisms, but I think the, I want to emphasize that I'm only really interviewing my friends on this, and this is a completely unprofessional production, and it was all resolved in the end, and everyone... I made some good Batman jokes because I think diffusing humor is the best way. And then Catherine's mom and her dad were like, I love the show. And it was amazing, you know, probably only like 100 people listen to these episodes. But it's amazing, I think, for the people who would never otherwise be on any sort of production. It shows the awesomeness of this medium because it's like I'm just recording a conversation, putting it on the Internet. And then all of a sudden her whole family is talking about it and talking about mental health and like probably as somewhat of a real, you know benefit to that person's life which is super neat and i think it so it's just the access of this medium and i will continue to interview you know my friends uh also tying into that i guess about me having no idea what i'm talking about is it comes to this interesting issue of identity it's um on that last episode you know we were talking about mental health and mental illness a lot and i wanted to i probably should have made it clear at the start like you know i'm no way an expert on this and uh I th but I think at times people almost use that as an excuse. They're like, you know, if a friend's in crisis, they're like, you know, tell them to go seek professional help. But also, like, that doesn't mean you're not allowed to talk to them about it. And it's like, sometimes I think it's used as a defense to just not talk about serious issues, you know? Idiots can talk about things too. And that's what I'm doing. And then that also gets into a few other things that I'd like to talk about. This podcast is... uh. It, it summarizes a few identities that at times I have. Um... Yellowknifer, perhaps, Houseboater, Northerner, but I think all of those, you know, it t comes into how you define an identity and maybe at the lowest level on those things, but I certainly don't want anyone thinking that I am any sort of spokesman or like, you know, Yellowknifer is a weird one. Like, are you a Yellowknifer if you just moved here and you've been here a week or do you got to be here three years? Or is it like PEI where you're a come from away or for 30 years unless you were born there? And I, I think there's, you know, there's kind of a spectrum there of legitimacy, and I'm very low on that spectrum, and especially Northerner. Uh, you know, I haven't been here that long. I'm a Southern transplant. I'm in no way trying to speak on behalf of the North. And then even tied to that more is, like, you know, I'm not Indigenous, and I'm not Indigenous to the North, and I would never purport to, like, if on this podcast I say I'm a Northerner, it's like, well, yeah, but, like, I'm meaning that just in the fact that I live here, and I don't want anyone to think that, you know... My opinions are valid. <laughs> Just discount what I'm saying. And that also ties into being a houseboater because that's another one where there's a houseboat community and, like, is the definition, like, I bought a boat and I live on it. Am I now a houseboater? And I, to me, that's not even what it's about because then there wouldn't be a community. There's a lot of people who've lived here for years and they're living off grid and they have, you know, really great community. And I'm, like, new and barely part of that. So I think I just want to give a shout out to all my houseboater friends. I'm sorry that sometimes... I say I'm a houseboater on the course of this, and sometimes people call me a houseboater. I'm working on being a houseboater, okay? I, I got my water wings on still. I'm tr in training, and I don't want to speak for anyone or pretend like I know what I'm talking about. Um, and that kind of ties into this weird thing about putting this onto the internet, is that I think when I do this, sometimes I have an intended audience, and that intended audience is kind of my friends, and they understand all these things. But then, you know, that's not you can't control your audience when something's public on the internet. Um, and then so people get a hold of it and they're like, well, who's this guy talking about the houseboat community? He's only on, been on a boat for six months. And it's like, that's a completely valid criticism. But if your friend, my friend, you just know I'm full of shit. So, <laughs> um, okay. And lastly, exciting news. Um, 
I am now hosting this podcast on everywhere podcasts are available. So I think the vast majority of people have iPhones. And if you go into the podcast app and you search dispatches from the Scandamaniac, subscribe. Listen today. Also, Google Podcasts. I don't know. Wherever else podcasts are fine. Dispatches from the Scandamaniac is the new official name I'm going with after, you know, changing the title, it seems, every time. Um, but without further ado, ado, my uh, guest today is uh, Jessica Cecilia, who recently wrote an article about me. Uh, I will link the article in this, and the article was about uh, the Northern Bound group, a group I'm a part of in Yellowknife. It's kind of a BDSM group, and I think we're just going to talk about the process of that article and uh, sex. Yeah. Jess, okay. welcome to the podcast. Hi. And way to use my like old Facebook name. Excellent. Well done. Oh, yeah. What? Sorry. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I changed it a while ago because I got docs last year. So I put my middle name. My, my actual last name is Davey Quantic. So if you're looking for the article, that's how you find it. Oh, see, um, I, I, this is, I didn't actually know that. Your name is, and that's the, is that the name on the article? Yeah. It's my uh, actual. So I just used your old Facebook name. Yeah, which, this, I, yeah, which is, yeah, it's fine. It's, this happens all the time. People have their fake Facebook names or use a middle name. And yeah. then I just think that's their name. Oh yeah. Cause so, how would you know otherwise? Like, yeah. Just, and it's, and it's like Facebook is the thing you see most often. Yeah. Okay. So I changed it fairly recently, so it's no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Jess, um, <laughs> We've actually talked a lot because you last time you were on the Scandamaniac was for uh, one of the Northern Bound, you know, BDSM yeah. nights where you wrote the article. And then I before that, we even spent like an hour and a half conversation as you did we, your journalist thing. We had a really intense like interview where you came to my house and ate Subway and talked about sex and kink and privacy and stuff, which was kind of fun. Yeah, no, it was, it was super interesting. And it, and it actually, that conversation inspired me to kind of do what I'm doing now and oh. because I... I, I, we were even talking about it, how you journalists, you get this, like, lucky thing where you get to, like, create this bubble with a person and they, like, you know, so much comes out and, like, you know, it's a rare to have an hour and a half conversation with someone. It's really fun. That's one of the things I love the most about it because it kind of gives you the structure and if you're a nosy person, which I am, yeah. you have license to ask anything you want and you can ask people questions that, like, you normally might shy away from or you'd think, oh, I can't possibly ask that this too personal or something. And I'm like, no, I, I'm allowed to. This is my job now. And it's like... I knew we were, I was only going to use like a fifth of what we talked about, but I still want to talk all about it because it's how you get people to tell you really cool things is that you have to spend that time. Um, and then I have to transcribe it, which is not my favorite thing, but yeah, but then you really get to know it. It gets even You get to listen even more and you're like, it's very active listening. And it's something that like I catch myself doing a lot when I first meet new people, like particularly on like Tinder dates and stuff, I'll catch myself just doing that. Just switching into journalist yeah, mode. Yeah. Cause and... it's easier. I'm too anxious and flaily of a human. So I just like switch into it. And people, if they know me, they're like, wait, what the fuck are you doing? If they don't know me, they're like, oh, she's just really attentive and interested and da da da. I'm like, yeah, no, it's lies. Yeah. No, so I'm just, well, I mean, we all have different hats and, you know, I, I put on lots of different hats to cope with social anxiety and I think a, a journalist hat is probably yeah. a great one, you know? And honestly, when you hang out with journalists, like the most anxious people are journalists. And that's actually where the article came from. So I was doing a um, investigative reporting thing at the Banff Center in Alberta and there's journalists from all over the country there and there's two of us from Yellowknife. And so, like, you're out for a beer after the, whatever, the course, and you're talking to people, and they're asking these questions about the North, because none of them have been up here, and they're all, like, vaguely fascinated by it, as people are. Yeah, you know, it's kind of exotic to people. Yeah, and they're like, wait, so, and because it was me and Charlotte, so we knew each other, of course we knew each other. Yeah, yeah. And it started with the first day, when one of the guys from Vice was like, okay, guys, we have to agree, no matter what we talk about in these sessions, no one's going to steal each other's material or their sources, and Charlotte and I are, like, looking at each other across the room, like, every journalist in, the t in town is in a group chat. Like, yeah, yeah. We go for beer pretty regularly. We there's a Facebook group chat where somebody is called literal God as a joke, and like it's that's just Yellowknife. Um, so we were talking about things, and like so it just come up even that you'd had those like slightly gossipy Yellowknife conversations where you're just dropping people's first names and like jumping around, and sometimes they're like big muckety mucks, and sometimes just everybody knows everybody. Um, and we were talking about dating and Yellowknife, kind of segued into it, and they were all fascinated by hitting the bottom of Tinder and all of that. And one of them's like, you need to pitch that article. Um, so that's kind of how I got to Northern Bound is like a way to do, because people have done that article about like, it's hard to date in a small town. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting kind of contrast there in that Yellowknife is very gossipy. And since that article came out, I have had all sorts of people come up to me and like with weird kind of questions like, oh, what do you guys do? Like thinking I'm in a sex cult and like trying to be like, who's the person who remained anonymous? And it's like, oh, just fuck off. And like, you know, let people have their privacy. Yeah. The jokes about who the anonymous people were is that's like, everyone needs to chill. Yeah. Either definitely. half the town like knew who they were already. Like they just kind of figured it out immediately and just yeah. keep it to themselves. Uh, my favorite is a friend of mine who was in her like 
around the water cooler and all her coworkers are like giggling like hee hee have you heard about this sex club and she's like oh of course not she's been in the group for like three years like yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's been from the beginning um and that was, that's been kind of fun but yeah it's it people are very talky about it and i but in a good way i've had a lot of people come up to me too and want to tell me things yeah i i and it's weird because there's that like giggly like oh have you heard about the sex club and it's just like what grow up like people talk about sex it's like yeah everyone's having sex calm down we don't have to giggle about it and then i've got messages from complete strangers who are like you know the article like i really liked it i'm really happy you're so open about it can we meet sometime and like people who've really opened up to me which is I mean, it's a lot on me because I'm like, oh, wow, I like barely know. I just like kind of do this because I like to organize events and I like to talk about weird things. But like now I'm in this like role where I have to be like, okay, yes, I will listen to your troubled issues and <laughs> your polyamorous relationships. I am no authority. And oh, that goes back to my disclaimer of being no authority. I think people have like, I think at this point because I've done, I, I was on Frankly Speaking and I went on uh cbc talking about this article and i wrote the article and people keep coming up to me and i think they're making these assumptions that i'm either having a lot more kinky sex than i am or like that i'm having a lot more sex point blank or that i'm like i don't know like some sort of madame up in my apartment <laughs> like i don't know like it's it's a weird i'm like you're getting a weird impression of me i'm no <laughs> yeah I, I think that's like a weird misconception that happens is that like people who are open to talking about sex must just be having sex all the time. And then people are like, how do you do it? It's so exhausting. And it's like, I, you know, you probably have more sex than me. It's just like... It's just I have zero filter and lack shame. Yeah, uh, exactly. Which is something like I've had to cultivate that in my own career anyway because some of the stuff... I, I used to work for Time Out and one of the things I did a lot there, I did a lot of the experiential stuff. So I did food reviews and I did spa reviews and those sort of became like, I go do a weird thing and tell you all about it. So I had like hair feathers put in, I've been hypnotized, I've done all, I've been rubbed with diamond dust and shit like that. So once you sort of get into that, where you're just, everything you're writing, some of the best things I've written, I've been really grounded in like my own experience. So it kind of removes a lot of the filter because I'm looking at most things I do is like, oh, this will be a hilarious article. This really horrible thing that happened to me will be a great antidote in about five years when I can like look at it objectively. <laughs> um, so like that was... I'm not, I think it kind of split over to this. So the more I talk with this more, I'm like, yeah, of course I can talk about sex openly. And why wouldn't we? Yeah, no, that I, that's great. And that's like, it's kind of like what I aspire to do in this is like this kind of gonzo journalism where I just speak about experiences I've had and I'm like central to. And it's like, clearly I'm talking about myself all the time. But like, like you're saying, if good journalists, like sometimes, you know, have like really done the thing and got involved and like have some interest in it, you know? And it's more, I think it's about... Lots of people have these experiences, but if you're able to sort of phrase it or talk about it or like sum it up in a way, I think what happens is people like they look at it and they go, "Oh, yeah, I had the exact same experience. You've just said it in a way that I couldn't yeah. figure out how to say it, but you've just said it." So that's where I think it kind of happens. No, and I think that's the goal of any good journalism or any good kind of medium is that someone says, "I mean, this is that's what like comedians will tell you that the best joke is like where you've." you're ahead of the person and you're saying something and then your punchline is there like, oh, that is what that is. Yes, like, exactly. you know, it's that framing of the issue in that certain lens that everyone agrees with but hasn't quite thought of that way. And sometimes, you know, being a journalist, the outsider of like interviewing a bunch of people on their sex lives and so many of us are like, oh yeah, what? this is just normal. I talk about sex all the time and you're like, well, actually, there's a lot of people who don't do this anymore. And like, it almost feels like on the repository of like Google at this point in Yellowknife because I've talked to so many people at this point. So there were more interviews I did that didn't show up in the article and also background stuff. Since then, people have talked to me. And with the tiniest amount of extrapolation, I can figure out what other, like, where their exes is. Like, you know people. You know how people are connected. I now know way too much about this town. Like, just all this stuff. So I can see kind of the trends. It's like when someone says to me, oh, this thing that I'm, you know, I've never talked about before and I'm kind of intrigued by it. I'm like, yeah, eight other people this week have told me they're also into this thing. Like... <laughs> Yeah, interesting. I think I, uh, with the little to no authority I have, I'm uh, denoting you the official Yellowknife sex scribe. Oh, no. You are the okay, official sex. scribe. <laughs> okay, this is because I called you the king of king, but frankly speaking, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It? Great, yeah. damn it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let me explain that to my mom. Four years of journalism school, people. Four years. I think sex scribe's a great yeah, title. No, I, you know? I honestly people need records of these things. <laughs> yeah, those people, and I, I think that's an interesting thing, too, because, like, People talk about how Google and how the internet kind of allow people to see that whatever they're doing, other people are into it too. There's that whole joke. There was a skidoo that went by through yeah. our audio. As the sun goes down. <laughs> um, yeah, like there's that whole Rule 34 thing about the internet that if it exists, there's porn of it, and if there isn't, wait. Yeah. And I think people, other people assume that like as soon as the internet happened, like everyone would be instantly okay with whatever they're into. That's not really true. I think I think people still are okay in that they've Googled this and they're aware that 
they may have found porn of it. But they haven't exactly, like, talked to another person about it. No, definitely. And the, and the internet's just sometimes weird and detached. And I think talking about it and, like, having conversations with you see real normal people, like, puts it in a way healthier lens. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite, like, things about the internet is every once in a while you see these, uh, like, internet top tens. Uh, or, like, the top ten websites that are visited. but it And they, like, I don't know, Yahoo will be on there or something. But then if you go actual top ten with porn, it's, like, completely different list. They always are, like... Pornhub. Yeah, top ten top. asterisk, no porn, you know? Well, okay, have you... Uh, sidebar thing, but have you read the... It's Zuckerman's theory of internet censorship and cute cats. And the whole idea is that the internet was built for porn. There is a song about it. But the internet is porn and cute cats. And it's how... Um, we've taught people in order to get their cute kitties, their recipes, and their, their porn, we've taught them how to use certain platforms, and then they won't notice when you start to censor the internet until that internet censorship stops them getting cute cats and porn. Yeah, and yeah. now their, their search for cute cats and porn has now taught them how to then fight back against it, and how to organize. And it's this whole circular thing, and it's really cool, and he compares it to, like, Yemen. And I first heard this when I was living in a censored internet environment, because in Qatar you can't get anything, that's where I used to live, and, like, you couldn't, the internet was completely locked down. Uh, you get this slightly rude cartoon pop up if you try to go to like YouTube for certain videos, yeah, or, like yeah. like even a Rihanna music video is like no no haram you can't have that. So it was sort of an interesting thing of looking at like how do we we shouldn't necessarily be ashamed that porn is where we have the internet. Like I think we all know that like it existed for years before somebody <laughs> it only got big because someone's like hey there could be boobs here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean the guy who invented PayPal did it to like make money selling porn you yeah. know it's like snapchat <laughs> did, did the dick pic come first or did the snapchat yeah like... I, I remember reading a stat like and i don't know how true this is but like the porn industry is bigger than every major league sport there exists like it is more money than the nfl the mlb the nba combined and like you know how big of an event is the super bowl we all like millions of dollars and the porn industry like produces more revenue that like just exponentially more and like if you look at we don't also, talk about but if you look at someone who wants to be open about it look at Pornhub like they release every year their data which is amazing if you look it up you can data mine this and it's all the stats on what people are looking at in what region of the world and how long they're spending on it and it's really telling like the things that are the trends and people are not doing studies about like can you link the porn trends with like the economic good of where you're living and like what oh, I like that I like big data analysis yeah like it was that. like what the hell like, so you're <laughs> when things are good you're looking up this and when things are bad you're like jacking off to that and like stuff like that like <laughs> what how does that work and then they then they do stuff too like they have scholarships Pornhub offers and they wow out, I didn't know I mean that makes sense that, they're like a multi-billion yeah. dollar corporation so they, they work like any corporation and they had a snowstorm last winter in the states and they were sending out plows and they had like got plowed by Pornhub on them oh wow that's like, they great. do shit like that and you're like how but okay and it's it's making this sort of porn thing more mainstream which is also about I think a change in what making sex more mainstream Maybe? I don't know. We're not as... Yeah, yeah, this is something that I, I think I debate a lot, is that, like, am I, like, a product of my generation and that, like, I'm willing to talk to a journalist, you, about my sex life? And, and like, just, be named. Like, you were the first one who was, like, sure, I'll be named. Whatever. Yeah, it's, like, just having no shame. Am I, pro am I like, is this a generational thing or is it just me being a bit of an oversharer and I'm working on that? Or, like, and, like, do you think... I mean... What was the age range of the people you talked to for this article? It and was, like a lot of them were kind of in my age range, so like the mid twenties to mid thirties, like that just happened. But some of them were a little bit older, and some were a bit younger, and some were kind of in different life places. Because I think when you hit like your thirties, it's hard to the age matters less. I think than like where you are in your life. So if you're married with kids versus if you're single, if you're like whatever. So it was kind of all over the map there. But a lot of it was sort of in that old millennial type era, yeah, I yeah. guess. I think one of the things perhaps that I'm ascribing to a bit of a generational thing is that it just seems to me that the straight community is catching up to the queer community in talking about sex. Like my gay men friends, like first off, your sex life revolves around anal. So like you're just so much more to talk about there. And like a lot of my lesbian friends use strap-ons and like toys are essential. So like the amount of conversation and openness in the queer community to me is just like light years ahead of the straight community. Well, I used to think part of it was, and this is as somebody who went to a very liberal arts call university with, like, a ton of queer friends, and back in the day, I think people used to call me a fruit fly somehow. Like, just, it just happened. Um, is it like, like an insult for being... No, like, as a good thing. It's just, like, you're not a fag hag, you're a fruit fly. Oh, okay, I never heard that. Okay. I don't know. But I had a lot of gay friends for a long time, and I still do. Um, and I think part of it was, if you had... Yeah, like, if you're interesting at all, I don't know. Um... <laughs> Sorry, that was... Um, but I think part of it has to do with if you are 
queer in our culture, you have to have very blunt conversations with your mom at some point. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. Like, step one in owning your queerness is to have to tell people about it. Straight people, at no point do we have to, like, sit down all of our friends and family and be like, let me have a frank discussion about what I do in my bedroom with you. Yeah. Like, we never have to do that. Yeah, your identity isn't... This talk going back to identity, it's yeah. like, it's not tied to your sexuality. Whereas that yeah. is so tied to your sexuality, and there's lots of other ways, yeah. and I think now we're starting to talk about, and I, I kind of love the reboot of Queer, queer Eye for many reasons, but one of them is talking about the different permutations of being queer. That's not all the same. Just because you do X in the bedroom doesn't mean you have the same kind of um, expressions or the same way of dressing or talking or acting or stereotypes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I do think people, it, it is part of it. Like, if you say you're gay, immediately people are thinking about, well, the defining is what you do in your private life, in your sex life. So if you already had those conversations, <laughs> then talking about anal sex with your partner isn't that big of a deal. You've already started talking about it in a way that we're not expecting heteronormative people to do. Yeah, one of my favorite little memes on the internet I saw is like, uh, when are you going to come out to your parents as straight, you know? <laughs> yeah, like at no point, although my parents are big hippies, so I think at some point I did. Yeah, just so you know. Yeah, because I had a lot of gay friends and I had Birkenstocks and there was like this moment of like, and I hadn't brought a boyfriend home, so they're like, hey, just so you know, we're cool. I'm like, guys, like, could you, <laughs> could you chill just for a second? Um, we were all a little bit disappointed with my brother, like girls, cause it would have been so much fun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there was that conversation, but I, I agree with you though. Like if I remember, I was talking to this friend of mine the other day, like when I said I was going to be on this podcast and I was like, I don't know, fine. I'm not really an expert, but okay. Um, there's no experts on if, this, this yeah, podcast. Exactly, yes. But if all your friends are talking about having to navigate when they're 19 or 20 or whatever, anal sex or sex with toys or whatever kind of sex they're having suddenly you being like well i don't know about hand jobs it's like what the hell like yeah it's, exactly it's, it's grow up nothing i could do was more deviant to mm -hmm. making huge air quotes than what they were doing so it became really easy to talk about and then as soon as i would go into like other spaces where it was mostly heteronormative straight girls and they're yeah. very giggly about things and i just came uh. out with like and it became like well I won't put people calling me the dirty friend because I'm like, I would just make these comments. I'm like, no, wait, what? No. Um, and also have a very blunt sense of humor. So that's part of it. Like I find a lot of this funny. And I think if you're going to have sex, you have to find a sense of humor in it because a lot of it is just like ridiculous. Oh, I, I absolutely think there's room for humor in your sex life. And I mean, <laughs> I think that's just clear by who I am as a person, you know? <laughs> Um, and I, you were making that joke of like calling me the king of kink, which is just like, it's such a joke because it's like, oh my God, like I don't just like, I'm laughing all the time. I'm making jokes. It's like, this just the idea that I'm taking anything that seriously is to be a king. You yeah. Know? Like to be, and I am the, this is my kingdom. Like, what? like unless you have like a secret room in this boat I don't know about. Like, yeah, exactly. Um, Okay, the other thing I kind of wanted to talk to you about is uh, shame and kind of the way shame plays into people's sex lives. And uh, we were talking about, about this a bit before that uh, if you have shame in your life or if you have some like underlying kind of insecurity, you can get by in life with a lot of people not noticing. You can go to work, you can put your journalist hat on and you know, you, you could probably even go on a date and you get in that mode and you don't notice. But there's when you have to get intimate or you know when there's vulnerability it's like boom it becomes so relevant it's right there and like i think it, okay i'm about to do burlesque next week and a lot of people come up, oh i could never be as confident as you guys who do this and that's everyone on that stage and yet i think nobody who does it i'm like you need to see this process we're we are all starred and that everyone has a meltdown at some point whether it's the photos or it's the costuming or there's this everyone has issues and like i can look at pictures of friends of mine who come back who are the most stunning people I know and they're still like I don't love this photo I feel so about like everybody has that but when you see people on stage when you come to the show next week you wouldn't see any of that it's just a super big confident thing that's happening and I think most people are like that and then when you have sex it's like this moment where everything is just on the surface and this other person can see it and your inner 13 year old like the one that kind of hates you a lot yeah, yeah. is like talking loudly and you can't put it away and i think that happens a lot with people with sex which is why they don't want to talk about it yeah and and i think that probably is is that like you know it's if you have insecurity then you like you can create a shame from that and you don't want to talk about it but the issue is like the way that these things become better is just like basic communication and it's like if you have a partner like tell you that like i feel you know insecure about this issue it's like just 
talking about that. It's like, I don't think people put it, and I mean, this is a rant. I mean, I guess I'm giving a podcast about It's a how giant impor- rant, Rylan. That's what you've done. This whole thing is a rant. <laughs> this whole podcast is a rant. And like, when I talk about mental health, all I say is like, talk about it. Communication. When I'm talking about sex, I'm like, talk about it. But there's like, this moment I think people are worried about like, and I hear this all the time, maybe since the article, people are talking to me more, but, or I'm noticing it more now. I don't know. But female friends will be talking about like oh I'm having sex with this person or I'm dating this person and this makes me feel this way and I don't know and I'm so insecure and I'm like have you told them well no because I don't want them to get turned off or I don't want them to like see this and I'm like but if you want to be in a relationship with this person if you care about this person you would think they would respond to whatever you told them well and if they didn't then why are you sleeping with them like yeah this, where, where, uh... does that, where does that line come and like it's it's a weird place to say that you can't tell your partner what you want in a way or like this is what I need yeah and it's like so based in this weird kind of high school mentality or the way we like did things in high school where there was like a giggling pack of girls and it's like you know everyone was always so judgmental and like the idea that you couldn't be like hey so like what are you looking for right now like I, I, I don't even know how people would hesitate to ask that question. To me, it's just like that's what I yeah, ask you right have away. To, like, you have to, okay, so first of all, I saw a meme that it summed this up. Like, never think you're not dealing with a giggling pack of girls because whatever you said to uh, yeah. someone, there's 16 people in a group chat who now know exactly what you've said, and it's being parsed for every <laughs> layer of meaning. And it's the most stupid stuff. It's like, oh, what if he texts me back, but it's hours later? Or what if he texts me back right away, but it's only like, LOL, like, how do I know? And I'm like, why don't you just ask them? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, maybe that's one of the reasons I've adopted this, like, really blunt force thing is because, like, you can't take that level of microscope to my replies because I don't know what the hell I'm talking about half the time. And this is what I keep trying to remind people, like, you're giving credit way more credit than due yeah. to, like, everybody else you know. Particularly, I'm just going to say it, straight men. I'm sorry. Like, you're giving a lot more validation to, like, plotting. Yeah. <laughs> like, girls, sure, might have put this level of minute detail. Because we do. You think about, like, oh, I'm going to be cool. I'm going to wait half an hour precisely before I text back. Or I'm going to use this emoticon or whatever. I'm not going to double text. The whole double text thing drives me crazy. I'm like, I, I don't get why people are nervous to do it. I double text all the time. Just... Yeah. What's double text? Oh, like? it means like you text, they don't text back, and you text again. Uh, and oh. this whole thing, there's this whole thing that like, you shouldn't do that. You don't seem cool. And I think that's a big thing. People don't want to show vulnerability or ask, you know, what do you want from this? Because we still have this idea in our heads. It's I think our generation is in a weird place that we have, on one hand, we're all supposed to be kind of, you know, Samantha from Sex and the City. Like, that's supposed to be the thing. We're all very cool about it. Nobody cares. Everything's great. And on the other hand, you're also supposed to be sort of the stereotypical want to get married and all of that. And you're kind of juggling the two things. So you don't want to come on too strong in case they're not interested, but you also don't want to come off too soft in case they like, it's you're trying to do both at the same time. So if you ask what they want from this, you might, you, you'd have to declare what you want from this. And Oh God, we can't do that. Yeah, no. It, yeah, exactly. It expresses some vulnerability and, and, and it also then, but I don't know. This is the other thing. It's like, to me, a completely acceptable response and like, intro to that is like i don't actually know what i want like there that's a great mutual thing and that person might be like god me no either i have no idea i've had this right a couple times lately i'm like whatever happened to dating like i don't understand why you meet somebody and then it has to be instantly you have to know what you want from them you have to know this it's like we're a relationship you're my partner and it's got this levels to it or you're just this person i'm gonna sleep with and there's nothing in between yeah and there's no moment of like can we hang out for a couple days like can we go on a couple dates can we go out for drinks can we like just watch a movie can we just like figure out is that a thing that can happen no okay fine <laughs> and i don't know if that's something we've done that we're in a weird place that we went from we had a very sexually liber- liberated generation in the 60s and 70s yeah who then raised us um and i think we did a bit of a swing back in a way and now we're kind of trying, trying to figure out how do you do the two things and how do you yeah, yeah, how do you navigate this? Yeah, and that, well, that's, like, I think a real problem that I think a lot of people, like, a, that ran into as a society is that you can't actually, you know, despite me being so open about sexual and stuff, you can't just break down all of the kind of customs and barriers <laughs> because then everyone's just left and swimming in the dark, you know? Like, you know, there's a lot of problems with the, like, oh, the, here's the one mode that fits all, but, like, if you agree that, like, hey, let's go on five dates... And then, like, check in with each other. Or let's check in, you know, after three dates. It's like, well, that's good. That's, like, a workable model, you know? Why can't we just... Yeah, the and idea it... that, like, oh, we're just fucking from day one and that's all it ever going to be. And you can be. never have feelings about it. Like, there yeah, can like... never be a feeling. I'm like, that's not how people work. Yeah, yeah that, and that wasn't, like, the goal of free love, to just be, like, fucking without feelings. Yeah, brain you know? chemistry doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. Like, monkey brain will not let you do that. 
I, yeah. yeah, I just, it's, I think you could say on the head, like, the social custom part of it, too. Like, we have this idea, and I think it's the difference between private and secret. So somehow, like, yeah, certain things should be private, because it's a very private thing, um, whatever, like, that's that's fine. But I think people have kind of interpreted that as it has to be completely secret. So we've, we've got a lot of people who are kind of burying their sexuality or their sexual preferences or whatever really, really deeply into secrecy, because it's so, and I even catch myself doing it. Like, if you, if I have a crush on somebody, like, first things first, they must never know. Like, oh, yeah. at no point can they know that I'm interested, nor can any of my friends know that I'm interested, because, oh, God. And I'm like, but if you don't admit you're interested, nothing can ever happen. You just sort of, like, sit here and pine. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, clearly I'm not in the secrecy camp, and I'm probably not even in the privacy camp, but I think what's probably happened to me is that my lack of self-awareness about, like, and my lack of, like, this analysis you're talking about that people are doing, like, should I be double texting? It's like, I was just never doing that because I just have no idea what's going on. And then I just, throughout my life, have been like, hey, I like you. Let's go on a date. Or, like, you know, I'll, like, I'll go to the bar and then we'll have, meet someone and then we'll come back to my apartment. And I'm like, do you want to have sex? And they're like, what? You just asked that like that? And it's like, well, I, I don't know. Is that not, is that wrong? It's like, because I haven't been doing all of this thought that other people have because I'm just in my head in some other I think, it's, I think it's the dobbler or the dommer thing, right? So like, I if, don't know what that means. Okay, so if you're into something, if you're into someone and say, "Hey, I like you," and you're into them back, it's dobbler holding up the speakers at the end to say anything, and it's oh, adorable, okay. it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're not, they're dommer and they're going to kill you. Oh, like that's yeah. the line. And I think yeah. that's the problem because like these bold gestures, people talk about. It, like I personally love bold gestures. I cannot tell when people are hitting on me. I do not understand it. You literally have to, like, hit me on the head that, yep, you're into me. And I get it. But, like, I don't. Otherwise, I will overthink my way out of it. Like, I will just not assume. So, again, because it's vulnerable. To assume someone likes you is very vulnerable place to be. So you kind of walk around thinking no one ever likes you ever. And that's just how it is. Um, so we all talk about how we like the bold gestures. But then when it's from someone you're not interested in, yeah. that's when it's, there's a very fine line between creepy and attractive. Yeah, absolutely. And there's... Yeah, that that's on a lot of people not being able to kind of pick. But then again, it's like, but we just talk about it. It's like, hey, you know, like I'm into you, like want to go on a date. And then if they say yes, then you can probably do a bold gesture. Yeah. And Don't just do about, the bold but gesture. But even, even when I was asking you, I'm like, I think people fear that they're going to get laughed at. I'm like, no, even if I wasn't interested in somebody, I'd probably be a little flattered, like yeah. a little bit. It'd be kind of nice. It's nice to be liked. But like. Again, we're not all living in, like, a very special episode of Degrassi or something here. Like, people aren't secretly plotting to humiliate everybody at the big dance. Like, that's just not a thing adults do. I think we have Degrassi to blame for this. It's no, always fucking Drake's fault. I, yeah, wheelchair Jimmy! What did you do to us? Ruined my sex life. Um, damn it, Drake! And Toronto! Um, yeah, fuck Toronto. Is the, that's the underlying theme, theme of, all of this podcast. Fuck Toronto. fuck Toronto. No, but I think we were talking about this before, too. Like, I just... I think, and I've had this conversation a lot with female friends of mine. I don't know about male, but I'm talking about people who identify as female. Um, where it's this idea that, like, some people are having sex, but they're vaguely kidding. So, like, you're never sure if somebody has gone home with you because, like, if they don't call you the next day, you end up in this place really quickly where you're like, oh, they must have just secretly hated me. And I'm like, that's not a thing that people are doing. Um, but it is... The, the, the kidding sex. I've, I've yeah. never experienced that. Yeah. Ha I'm joking. <laughs> like, that's not a thing that happens, but... I've heard kind of basically the sentiment from so many people about when just talking with your girlfriends about like guys they're seeing or like it's just because there's an unwillingness to talk about it and then they don't want to just directly ask what we're doing or why we're doing it or whatever. Like we're not at this point talking about, I think in the article we're talking a lot more about like, would you like to do X act? Do you enjoy Y? Like right now we're just talking about, do you want to be in my sphere of at all? Like, do you want to be around me? Stop. Yeah, and I and I may and maybe that's like part of one of these like many trickle down effects I love about BDSM is like and I talk about this a lot is like the amount of consent required because you're in dangerous activity and actually one of these weird interesting generational shifts is like you talk to older kinksters and they're like no like we've had clubs raided like this what you're doing is illegal and like you know and you can't consent to serious bodily harm is the the test and the law and it's like where serious bodily harm is a hard line and i know kinksters who have crossed it i mean it's something i would never cross mm. that's serious bodily harm but like can you consent to whipping someone is like a very interesting question in the law that is like not been answered and you know so it's the lawyer thing it's like oh i need like really fucking active and affirmed <laughs> consent like even legally not even like 
to mention like on a moral sexual like level that how important consent is and then so that just like trickles down into everything else in my life and then also the communication like hey can i flog you and when can we set up a communication system it's like if you're willing to ask that question, like, I'm more than willing to be like, hey, do you like me yeah, and like, want to go on a date? It's like, once we've discussed, like, safe words, I feel it's fairly clear to be like, oh, yeah, we should go get coffee. Like, there just, there should be that assumption of it. But at the same time, like, I, I think if the meet, first of all, the article taught me one really cool thing. I kind of already suspected this. So many, particularly of the women that I spoke to for this article who didn't appear, I did a lot of stuff for this that didn't appear in the article they are coming from places of trauma, which is also true. Like, most women you know have been assaulted at some point. Just, we have to just get over the fact we're pretending it's not true. Absolutely. And it's, like, in the you, bedroom is, like, where that really yeah. becomes real. And it's so, the tr- potential for triggering is so it's real. So there. And, like, and I know so many women now who have gone over to the kink side mostly because of those structures. Because you get to have a safe word that isn't questioned. So if something triggers, you don't have to explain why you want to, you know, take a little moment to assess it. It could be anything. And if you have a weird reaction afterwards, it could be... You yeah, you're allowed to put up a red light because you got an itch or you want to go get a glass of oh, water. Yeah, like, it's all like, that stuff. An, anything. But so in, like, in like, the vanilla community, though, there are so many egos involved. And I've talked to people, too, who are like, well, you know, with my... It'd be, and you're just talking to like, friends of mine who have, who are only kind of, they're not in the kink world at all, but like they're talking about, oh, women who fake orgasm all the time because they don't want to hurt someone's feelings or women who don't yeah, really, yeah. who aren't really into it, but they do it like... We said people aren't having joking sex, but I think we've shown for the Me Too movement that like there's lots of women who have this is the path least resistance sex or sex because it's just and that happens a lot and they're unwilling to talk about what they want or what they need or any of that kind of stuff. So we should be having these conversations more. Like, and I, I definitely even for men, and I think about my brother a lot because he's ten years younger than I am, and I'm like, Jesus, what world are you coming into, and how are you doing this? And um, part of it is just I think a lot of men in our generation, and you know this because we if. Every woman you know has been assaulted, or if most of them have. It means there are a lot more men doing it than realize. And I think we've done a huge disservice to men in our culture that we aren't teaching them to look for consent and to what does it look like and that kind of thing. We're kind of, like, leaving them off on their own. I think a lot of men have done stuff or been involved in stuff that they would never consciously want to do. It just sort of... Yeah, absolutely. And, it, it, you know, and it, like if you have, like, a really minimal definition of consent that's like oh the person like didn't say no it's like well you could have just caused a really triggering event for a person and you may never know and you didn't learn it's and like they won't tell you about it they, they won't talk yeah, to you because about it's, it exactly it's so true and that's why like the, that the idea of that happening and like people who are practicing proper bdsm is it's like it's almost impossible like if it's happening you're not practicing safe sex like you're just you're not practicing proper kink it's like even and someone from this article even mentioned to me it's like the idea of ghosting in the bdsm world wouldn't exist yeah oh like, my god because yeah. you're not just gonna like wander off into the mist no you're gonna like, <laughs> like check in with the person be like how was everything is this all okay like do you if, need if me you, to hold you do you need some water like or like if you wanted to end this relationship that you put so much effort into creating you would actually have a conversation about it you just would not stop calling them oh yeah there would be proto- <laughs> yeah and so this is like why i think i've got into the bdsm world and like I, it's not even like a true like sexual passion of mine or anything it's just like i love all the consent i love all the communication i love that it's kind of weird and i love learning all this and it's like i really do believe that bdsm like in kink protocols could like should be in everyone's life like imagine if everyone just understood that like there was if you said red like a scene stopped sex stopped immediately no questions and the person said oh okay that's fine like let's just you know do whatever you need to do like imagine if that just was understood everywhere like oh my god women well, would just be like or, or i shouldn't even it's not even a gendered it's thing not, it's although like, i think we, a lot of these issues do pop up like you said before heteronormative heterosexual couples are like a decade behind everybody else when it comes to fucking yeah, like, yeah they're just absolutely. not not all of them I'm making huge generalizations. Please don't write me letters. But like it just, <laughs> <laughs> just straight shaming is what we're doing. Yeah, today. A, a bit though. Damn you, straight man. Why are you so the way you are? Um, but yeah, like I think if, if I agree, like if if this was just part of it, or if if they if you had that amount of conversation with people, or the idea that you would talk about stuff, or that you know you can tell your partner this is the thing I fantasize about, and there's going to be no shaming attached to it. It's just going to be like, oh, cool. Either they're into it or they're not, and moving along. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, I, I, I wit, and it's like it has benefits for everyone because if you know the person is like fully going to communicate, has like 
completely trust the use of a safe word to be like, okay, this is over now. Everyone's fine. Like, sorry, something came up and like, you know, I wasn't comfortable and it's like, I didn't want to follow through with it. So I just got bored. Like sex can, you well, can get bored. Well, this sounded really good. We talked about it, but in actuality, yeah. not my jam. Yeah. yeah. That's happened to me too. Like that happens to everyone. And you know, it's like, you just, could, if you could just like say a word and there would be no bullshit after and no like hurt and feelings. Then, yeah. Oh my or God. Even, okay. So the thing I discovered doing this article that I'm like, everyone must know about this. The sub drop thing. Yeah, the yeah. fact that like, and this explains like 90% of my early 20s conversations with my girlfriends where you'd go and have coffee and they'd be like, oh, I've been sleeping with this person. It was really great, but now I feel so awful. And you'd like parse like, oh, is it because he's not committed or because maybe like whatever. And no, it is literally because your hormones are dropping and because your adrenaline is dropping. And in the BDSM world, people talk about it because it's like you've had an intense scene. Everything's gone up. And then the sub will just crash and it happens to both. It's just the sub drop is the bigger one, but it can happen either side. And it's just sort of like, yeah, you need some orange juice and a blankie and a minute to cry and listen to Dolly Parton in your shower. Like whatever it is you need to do. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be having the sex that you didn't consent to it, that you didn't enjoy it. Um, and that you can then talk to your partner about it too. And it not be a big deal. Whereas I think a lot of people would like not would hesitate to tell their partner, yeah, an hour after you left, I was in tears. Oops. Well, and I've had lots of people tell me that like they cry after really good sex. They're like, if I get those endorphins that high, I'm coming down. And it's like, but like they're like, they'll tell me that and be like, and sometimes I just like live it out and feel those feelings for a minute, and then like after, if you check in, it's like I'm well fine. But, but if like, the person just leaves and then you're like, you don't actually, and if that's not talked about and you don't know why the hell you're crying, it's like, you're going to ascribe a lot of confusion to that, which is, and you know, just a have, chemical reaction. Because there's so much baggage already placed on women <laughs> yeah. in our culture around sex and around sex that is not outside of the nor- the paradigm of like a committed monogamous heterosexual relationship. We've got so much baggage already. So then you add this to it. And I, like, I've been talking about this since our came out and was like, oh my God, that explains like all of this stuff and it makes it even harder I think for people to understand what is healthy relationships and what aren't if you can end up crying in your shower after really good sex in a healthy way and you're not after like mediocre sex with someone you should be having sex with how do you understand what is what like it's all very confusing and it's because we're not talking about it and the BDSM world is though because they have to be Absolutely. And like, you know, we're still telling people that like that foreplay is important. And it's like, I feel like we haven't even started to tell people that like after play is important and like communication after. And like, you know, we still make jokes about this, but women (laughs) wanting to cuddle and guys wanting to roll over. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Like, yeah. And like, you know, and you know, like you, a lot of these things shouldn't be talked about right after. Like, you know, you should let everyone calm. But it's like the idea that you wouldn't go on a second date and while you're having coffee, be like, talk about sex. Be like, so how was that? Was that okay? Like, are we fine? Like, these are normal questions you can you ask a person. debrief things. <laughs> yeah. And like, the fact is we have so many ways to communicate too. So face-to-face makes you skeevy, which I know, like a lot of people aren't comfortable face-to-face with it. It... I, yeah, me and you aren't those people, so yeah, I'm, but I'm we, trying I mean, not to lecture people on their sex life. I get a little but bitchy. Yeah, but it's, it's one thing to talk to you about this, but it's another thing to like, have this conversation across the table from somebody that you like, and you get all giggly and whatever. Absolutely, absolutely. But you have Messenger. You have text message. You have Skype. You can send them a letter. You can, like, there's so many things. <laughs> like... I, I, I like to send people memes that are about what I'm talking about. Oh my about god, yes. Because then it's like, hey, look at this funny meme. It's like, <laughs> I'm not saying this, but it's enough of, like, if you are going through anything, it, it exists on the internet as a meme, oh. okay? Okay. The nihilism of our generation of memes <laughs> makes me so happy. Oh, it's so good. The, the darkness of... just exists. Yeah, I, I follow this group of mentally thrill memes, and, like, so many of them are so on point, and I'm like, no one has ever said this before. Like, oh, you I know? follow cheerful and nihilism for the same thing. Yeah, like, yeah, it's, like, ex- slightly so dark, good. obscure, blah, 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 and, like, you can send people memes. That's also how I flirt, though, in a lot of ways. I'll just start, like, chucking memes at people, and, like, that's how you know if, oh, if you're yeah. my friend, that's how I make friends with you. If I'm interested in you, I'm sending you a slightly different kind of meme, but, like, yeah, I'm yeah, still yeah, sending yeah. you memes. Please pay attention to my wow, very subtle communication. This is such a millennial conversation, <laughs> just the importance of communication through memes. But they're wonderful and magical, and th- that said, like, the young generation now is probably like, yeah, we don't meme anymore. Yeah, we don't I, Facebook anymore. No, either. no, they're still memeing hard. Don't worry, I'm still on Tumblr with a bunch of young kids and chatting. You know, Eating I got plenty. Tide pods. Yeah, I got plenty of sixteen-year-old friends making memes. Excellent. On the internet. So we need, but that's what I'm saying. Like, so there's lots of ways to communicate, and I think if people are really scared about communication, it doesn't like the best one. Obviously, is face to face, in person, blah blah. But if that isn't quite where you're at right now, there are lots of other ways you can do it. And I like you're telling people, my friends, I'm like, if you don't, it's 2019. 
burn it to the ground. I don't care anymore. This is the year I'm like, fuck it. The world is already, <laughs> like, <laughs> the world is already, global warming is happening. Trump is still president. I, I can't anymore. So I just get over yourself a little bit and, and just say what you want. Because then you're going to get what you want, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And it's like, if we're burning things to the ground, <laughs> I'm not sure about that. But the first thing I'm burning to the ground is like any of these kind of Victorian era morals and or manners or like things you you know the idea you don't talk about religion sex or politics at the dinner table it's like fuck you that's what i'm talking about <laughs> exactly. we should be talking about more but <laughs> that does exist too because it's that polite thing about like well and i've heard this again again it's the whole gender role thing like the girls can't you know you have to be the girl and to wait for them to come to you and i'm like but men in our society are so broken why are we doing this we've done such horrible things to, to straight white male <laughs> like it's just no just in general, we kind of push them into boxes where they're not allowed to feel their feels. So, yeah, they're probably as drowning as you are. But there's this idea that you can't talk about this, it's rude to talk about this, or you won't be attractive if you talk about this, or whatever. Yeah, and, yeah, definitely. And, I, well, I, I think probably, yeah, it goes both ways in that, like, I, so many of my male friends I know will listen to this and be like, I'm never going to do that. Like, I'm never going to, like, talk about sex as openly as you. And it's like, it's just not something I would do. And it's like, well, why? Like, do you just not want to have better sex? Like, that's all it yeah. leads to is better sex, and more sex, and better sex with the people you want to have sex with. Like, why would you ever be having sex with someone if it's not, like... And less <laughs> agony, because here's the thing. as some, I've done this, and I'm working on not doing this anymore, but you can spend days, weeks feeling terrible because you're like I'm you're unsure you don't know and a really blunt conversation in five minutes will fix that oh, one yeah. way or the other like either you'll feel much better about it and it'll be great and you go on to have great sex or you find out that yes actually your worst fears were true and this wasn't going to keep going but then it gets to end and oh, you're yeah, not like so nice you're not I love ending things <laughs> yeah but you're, you're not stuck in that like torturous middle ground anymore and I do think there's a moment people are kind of addicted to that because it is attention and it is drama and it's kind of fun and all that but like at a certain point, just pull the plug on this. Like, Well, no, and, and that's the back to that ghosting thing is like if you're openly communicating, it's like you can if end a relationship and everyone's fine. Actually, they're happier that they're like, oh, OK, glad we're being so honest. Yeah, good. Happy you feel that way. Maybe I'll hurt, hurt for a few days, but I'll get over it. And I'm thankful that this didn't just fade away and create all this confusion and tension and get dramatic. I don't want any fights, fights in my life. Like, like, I don't want conflict. How do you ghost someone in Yellowknife? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. How do you logistically ghost someone here? Yeah, exactly. Like, unless just... you're dating someone who works in a camp and they literally disappear from town for two weeks at a time. <laughs> even then, they will one they will then reemerge. They'll be at like Javaroma or the grocery store or somewhere and you'll see them. Like, How do you... You can't do it. So... Yeah, and I also think what goes with that too, though, is I think people are also very afraid, and this is what came out in the article too, was they're also afraid of having these conversations because then it becomes public and it might not be kept private. So if you've had a really blunt conversation with somebody, you and we joked around about like girls going to their 16 best friends to parse everything, but like I think we have to have a moment of saying we have to respect for each other that we're going to respect the privacy of this. So even if this relationship doesn't work out, whatever has been said or done needs to stay in that cone of silence because it is a tiny town. Yeah, absolutely. And I. I it's another weird line because here I am as a person like you know just n telling everyone about my private life like oversharing to a really a level that not many people go to and yet like the I the amount of respect I have for privacy and like keeping things like confidential especially like when a serious intimate relationship is just like What's, it goes back into the kink thing. It's like you just learn that. There are people who are, like, not coming out of the closet and they want to keep this 100% private. And if you're going to, like, they're going to share this with them, you better hell fucking keep that a secret. And, like, you should not be outing anyone. And don't do it inadvertently. And don't go to the water cooler and be like, oh, I heard this person. It's like, they don't want you doing that, okay? That's their private life. They have a right to that privacy. And, like, there is... And it's like, here I am, and it's like, I have that right too, despite the fact that I've decided to give it up and rant about well, you know, it. Honestly, the, the people I know who are loudest are usually ones that, when it actually matters, it's just you've decided that all the other stuff, you don't you don't mind if people know it. Yeah. But then the, the things that you want to keep private are much more important to keep private. Absolutely. And I, like, and that's part of the thing I think people are concerned about being open with people, because it's like, well, if I tell my partner I want to do X, and then our relationship ends, or they don't want to do X, are they going to go tell their buddies, I want to do X, and then I'm going to get shamed for whatever it is. Um, maybe don't do that. Like, I mean, you don't have to. Yeah, oh, I, yeah, I don't, I mean, 
Maybe the people at the end shouldn't shame anyone, too. Yeah, or maybe, like, when, mm-hmm. yeah, like, I, I think there is a moment, too, of people, like, wanting to vent and tell stories about other people and, like, all that happens, but... Yeah, and I've had people come up to me and, like, they think because I did this article and I got named and I... I like how it's called got named. Like, you know, it's like, oh, it's like I used my real name in talking to a journalist. Sex. Um, yeah, that, like, people are like, well, who else is in the group? And it's like, people, like, wanted me to, like, who was the person that was unnamed? And it's like, who the fuck do you think I am that... I would tell you that, like, and then I shame them. I'm like, keep your fucking mouth shut. Don't go around being an investigative journalist trying to oh, figure out are something. Puzzling it out. I'm like, you all need to chill because if yeah. you, yeah, you can probably figure it out if you try really hard. It's not like I was clever in my keeping up people's privacy, and I've been very vigorous with it because that's ethically what I need to do for my profession. But like. Just stop trying to... F- they're not named for a reason. Could yeah, you because just... they express the right to keep something private. And, like, the idea that, like, oh, but I have the ability to... It's like, yeah, fine. Like, But you don't hack people's emails. Like, you know yeah. there's a line there. Like, why would you go try and, like, fucking out this person? It's ridiculous. And then you'll tell your friends, like, I found out who it is. And you're just outing someone for something they wanted to keep private. It's complete bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah agreed. Like, I just... <laughs> I don't understand why. And, like, there's... Uh, yeah. I don't. I I know for the term. I know a few people who have been like accused of being people in the article, who are like coming out very loudly, be like, "Not me, not me at all." I'm like, "All right, so that's maybe fair." If you don't want to get like awkward questions from your mom. Yeah, fair, but, but, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever. I, I mean, if you're gonna act like, "Oh, I would never do that," it's like fine. You, what? <laughs> Sorry, everything is unsatisfactory for <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, okay. thank you. Um. Okay, well, I think that's probably enough of me ranting about my sex life. Um, Jess, I'd, I'd like to really thank you for writing this article. Oh, I I do think you did, like, an amazing job. It was really respectful, and I was worried because, you know, I'm a lawyer, and it's a very small town, everyone knows me, and it's like, now I'm like, everyone's like, ooh, Island, you're into this. But I think you wrote it in a very respectful, and it was actually kind of like a nice piece of long-form journalism. Oh, thank you. It wasn't at all clickbaity, and, you know, Vice can do stupid articles sometimes where they like try to make a big spectacle of things and i don't think you did that at all and so i'd like to thank you for coming on the yeah, podcast thank you for having me um ladies and gentlemen dispatches from hms scandamaniac available everywhere podcasts are wherever you listen to your podcasts subscribe today and uh, i don't know oh I- actually one last housekeeping item uh presently right now my on the podcast when you go subscribe to place there's just a picture of my boat but when you look at other podcasts, they kind of have cool, like, a poster or whatever. So the title of this podcast is Dispatches from the Scandamaniac. Um, so if anyone listening to this, any of my fans, uh, Mom, I guess, and Jessica, who <laughs> her friends, the ten people who listen to this, want to draw up a poster, whatever, whoever sends me the best poster that says Dispatches from the Scandamaniac, and, you know, maybe as a ship or a pirate or, I don't know, something funny on it, Yellowknife. I'll uh, put it as the official podcast art and give you a shout out. You're going to and... get a Bodie McBoatface moment. Yeah, I if, know it. I would love a Bodie McBoatface <laughs> name of the podcast. Something. I might just do it with crayons if no one else shows up, but I thought I should have some official looking uh, title art. <laughs> Any... <laughs> Anyways, uh, signing off. Dispatches from Scandamaniac. <laughs>